worldwide. Antiwar.com is reporting that the Pentagon said on Thursday night that it launched airstrikes in eastern Syria that targeted two facilities, quote, used by Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps and affiliated groups, a significant escalation that makes a regional war more likely amid Israel's bombardment of Gaza. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin said in a statement that the strikes were in response to the series of rocket and drone attacks that have targeted U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria in recent weeks, which the U.S. is blaming on Iranian-backed militias, referring to Shia militias that operate in the region. Austin said, quote, these precision self-defense strikes are a response to a series of ongoing and mostly unsuccessful attacks against U.S. personnel in Iraq and Syria by Iranian-backed militia groups that began on October 17th. The U.S. has said that Iran is responsible for the attacks on U.S. troops, although the Pentagon acknowledged it has no evidence that Iran directed them. It's always interesting the U.S. blaming a country even though they don't seem to have evidence that that country was behind those actual attacks. would not be the first time that this has happened, but of course, notable as they continue on with these claims. Let's get into all of this with our first guest of the day. Joining me now to discuss is James Carey, editor and co-founder of Geopolitics Alert. James, it's great to have you on the show today. Good to be here. Now, when it comes to the U.S. carrying out airstrikes in Syria, we, of course, know that the U.S. has continued keeping troops in Syria for a number of years now, illegally occupying a portion of the country. But that's not something that's really talked about until you have something like this, where you have the U.S. coming out and saying, oh, well, we did it in self-defense because we believed that the drone attacks on our bases were coming from this entity, and now we're firing back. What do you make of the fact that the U.S. is getting even more involved with these latest strikes? I think with the escalation, uh, you know, in the context of the greater escalation with Israel, we're seeing a lot of um, imperial laziness, again, with the defense of Israel and now with the excuses being made that are immediately blaming this attack, these attacks on Iranian, you know, PMUs, Iranian-backed PMUs, or uh, revolutionary guard units embedded in Iraq or Syria. But as you said, you know, I heard you coming in. You know, there's no evidence being presented, and we've seen this before. You know, obviously in 2001 and 2002. You know, um, but you're, we're seeing the empire get to another point where it's it's clearly got intentions on its mind, and that's fueling the global war machine, and it, it really can't stop. So we're seeing it, the media and the po- politicians at the highest levels, they're just kind of overrolling public opinion at this point because they realize there are other projects that are more important, I think. And I, I think fighting Iran, quote-unquote, fighting Iran in Syria and Iraq is going to become a way for both Iran and the U.S. to possibly escalate tensions without having to get directly involved in Gaza, which I think is something that's pretty logistically impossible for both of them to do. Yeah, and it is interesting because we've seen the U.S. over in recent years, it seems to be turning more and more towards these proxy wars. You know, you saw it happen in Ukraine where it was the U.S. and its proxy war against Russia. Then you have the U.S. Uh, acting like it's siding with Taiwan on its end, even though it recognizes Taiwan as part of China. And then you come over to this fight with Iran. And yeah, certainly there is the concern that we could see a direct war between the U.S. and Iran. But then there's also the concern that we could see this proxy war carry out, as you noted, in other countries like Iraq 
and Syria. When it comes to sort of that U.S. face-off with Iran, this is one of those things that it has been building up to this point for a number of years. Do you see any possibility of it backing down, or does it seem like the Biden administration specifically is just kind of on this trajectory? I think it's important to keep in context that Biden's in an election year, and obviously foreign policy-wise, the guy's falling asleep on Air Force One as he's headed to Israel. You know, it doesn't look good, and uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and the Likud party aren't fans. Uh, Mohammed bin Salman doesn't seem to be a big fan of Joe Biden. So uh, looking that week going into an election year, I think that some aggression is going to be made, some saber-rattling is going to be done, much like Trump tried to do with Soleimani, unfortunately. Um, I think we'll probably see something, you know, maybe not that to that scale, but I think we'll see tensions rise between the U.S. and Iran in these places. But I don't think direct confrontation is is on the map because I think the U.S. realizes that's an impossible war, especially after Iraq. Um, I think that the U.S., you know, the U.S. establishment is realizing that it can no longer project power in a way that, you know, say W and his uh, cohort wanted to maybe run a huge blitz through Iraq and Iran to revitalize the empire. Whereas I see Biden running a more of a traditional early 20th century, like a liberal internationalist game where we'll just fund wars everywhere else on the other side of the globe and keep, honestly, keep our economy afloat through this, like, the you know, in the depression, really. Uh, I think it, a lot of it relates back to the conditions here and how much our economy just depends on fueling more machines in Ukraine, Israel, and everywhere across the Middle East, Africa, and Asia. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point there. Now, when it comes back to the situation in Gaza, we know that Israel has been talking about this planned ground invasion. We're now seeing Israel's ground troops expanding operations, or at least that's how they're defining it. And when it comes to these reports that the U.S. has at least tried to stop it, it looks like the U.S. or it looks like Israel rather is still going forward to a certain extent. So, how likely are we to see a full-scale ground invasion by Israel in the near future that goes beyond just sort of these operations and raids that they're carrying out? I think there will be some sort of ground invasion, but I don't think. Israel has it in them to occupy Gaza at this point. I don't think they want to do that. I think they know how much trouble that would be. I could see maybe a short, you know, like the entrance in Lebanon in 2006 or something like that, a short conflict where Israel has to leave. I don't think it'll end well for them. I think that's why they've hesitated so long. You know, this isn't a giant country. It doesn't take long to mobilize your troops from the West Bank back over to Gaza. If they wanted to do their ground invasion, I think they would have kind of jumped on it because— if Biden's talking to Netanyahu behind the scenes or whatever, you know, as the media is claiming he is, and as his, uh, people are claiming he is, it doesn't seem to be working. And if he's talking to him, if he's curtailing Netanyahu behind the scenes, I, I'd hate to see what it looks like without that. But it's clearly yeah. not working. And it's clear that Israel's going to be allowed to do whatever it pleases. You know, the U.S. has reaffirmed its alliance with it in, in a more concrete way than almost Trump could do besides the Jerusalem move. Uh, so I think we are seeing Biden sort of double back down on that and at a time when he really needs a win. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, some of this rhetoric that's coming from the Biden administration, we've seen this new trend from Biden and from John Kirby, which is just a claim, well, this is a war, civilians die, as if this just staggering death toll that we're seeing in Gaza is you know, nothing big. That's just part of war. In fact, when asked about 
that death toll, Biden claimed that the Palestinians weren't being honest about how many civilians were killed. And since then, in response, you've got the Gaza Health Ministry literally sharing the names and information about each of the people who have died in the thousands, going up to that number that they've been sharing and saying, hey, this is the number of dead. You also have organizations, including the UN and Human Rights Watch, saying that they trust the information coming out of Gaza as reliable. So what do you make of the rhetoric that we've seen from the Biden administration trying to almost tone down just how devastating this death toll has been coming out of Gaza in the last three weeks? Yeah, I, I think this, again, speaks to the laziness. I mean, you had Western governments applauding an SS officer in uh, their parliament a couple of weeks ago, you know, and now you have them talking about how standing with uh, Palestinian civilians is anti-Semitism and alliance, allegiance with Hamas. Uh, everything's being called Hamas that doesn't fit with, you know, or a Hamas sympathizer that doesn't fit with the U.S. narrative. And I think it's, again, they're just showing you they don't care at this point because, there are bigger projects to be maintained, and there's look. Israel is a, you know a colonialist project, and eventually this was going to happen. It was just accelerating towards it, and I think that the U.S., given its really weak position at this point, especially with China rising, is just saying like, look, we don't care. You know, we'll just blow it off. We don't have to try and lie. We will do these things anyway. Um, I think it is more unpopular at this point, especially among the Democratic base, which blows my mind. But the Biden line is just simply like, if you know, if you don't like it, it, who cares? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That is the message that they've sent, which is bizarre when you are in an election year and you're thinking that he would be maybe going a different route. But that has not been what we've seen so far. Now, in addition to that death toll in Gaza, in addition to, you know, nearly 19,000 people injured, their healthcare system falling apart, there have also been recent reports that communications have been cut off as Israel's bombardment has continued. What are the concerns there when we're not getting communication from the ground? And yet, as you noted, Israel is doing whatever it wants to do at this point. It's not showing any restraint when it comes to the civilians on the ground. Well, I think this is why it'll, I think that's fine for, you know, Western powers. I think they like it that way. It's, it looks horrible because, of course, we'll never get real death tolls now. And I think that that's what they want. They don't want power. The, lar- the largest dent in the armor of Israel has been the raising of Palestinian voices, especially through social media, you know, independent media over the last 10, 20 years, that this has become such an unpopular position as the U.S. default position on Israel, the U.S. empire's default position is support of Israel no matter what. And I think that it's very hard to tell people now in this age that, well, airstrikes aren't killing anyone. Well, it's like, well, who's on the receiving end of these things if they're doing them day and night for three weeks? You know, of course there's 7,000 people dead. Of course there's more people dying. And they're just going to try and snuff out, as they do literally shooting reporters at the Gaza border and the West Bank wall. They don't care. You know, they will just try and shut down Palestinian voices in any way they can. Yeah, that really seems to be the case. And I mean, I agree when it comes to social media, it seems like there has been more awareness this time around, even just comparing it to 2014 when Israel was bombing Gaza then and coming up to now and seeing how 
I know Twitter has been a big platform where it's like you get on it and there are images, there are videos everywhere you look of the Palestinian civilians on the ground, those who are being killed, those who have had their family members be killed by Israel's bombs being dropped. And yeah, to a certain extent, that kind of makes the world wake up when they see the reality of it, something that the media won't show them, something that the media kind of glosses over on their end. But yet when it comes to social media and the people who are allowed to speak out about it and to share the realities of it, then that makes people pay attention, at least more so than it has been before. How do you think that the establishment media has played a role in all of this, especially when it comes to you know, making sure that U.S. foreign policy has continued in the way that it has. And now it's kind of being called out by independent journalists and those on social media, at least to a certain extent. Yeah, I think that you know they don't like it. But at the same time, like I said, they for now, they know they can ignore it. I mean, look at most of the Democratic base doesn't like, even, you know, wholehearted support of Israel, but they're ignoring that. Even if they go into an election, um, Donald Trump is out here, you know, saying, basically good on Hamas and Hezbollah for tricking Bibi because, he, you know, he didn't back him hard enough in 2020. So, I, you know, for congratulating Biden. So I think you're seeing a lot of, again, it's just like a, a real decrease in U.S. political efforts. But I, I think that we'll continue to see media just be flooded with other things that aren't true, you know, and flooded with more garbage. And I think there'll be more people who maybe not, you know, psyops, but people who think they can make money off of these trends and the sort of mental illness that's very common in America post-COVID, I feel like, um, you know, people being shut in online too much uh, did damage. As much good as social media has done, it's done a lot of damage. And I think that as long as social media stays in the stasis state, right, as it's in right now, where it's chaos, they, they, they're fine with it. it. But it doesn't do, I know, nobody's going to vote. Nobody's going to vote. That's all, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is for sure. Now, when it comes to you know, kind of where the international community stands in all of this, talking about, you know, you have the horrors going on on the ground in Gaza, you're seeing all of these people being killed, and you've got an international community that already was getting frustrated with the United States to a certain extent when it came to Ukraine. Now they've got this frustration of the U.S. standing by Israel, the U.S. vetoing every possible resolution calling for a humanitarian ceasefire that comes up in the United Nations Security Council. So how do you see the international community, that being, you know, from the Arab world to countries like Russia and China responding? And do you see them doing more to step in here? Well, I think this is why you see, say, Russia, you know, sticking with its position in, on Ukraine, China growing as a global power, um, you know, uh, the African nations choosing to take loans from China rather than the IMF or World Bank. You're seeing it sort of, because, yeah, this is a, there, there's a big rejection. I mean, these people have had enough time to actually elect governments in their countries that represent them and represent how they feel. And when, you know, you're saying the UN uh, Secretary General needs to step down for anti-Semitism for you know, mildly criticizing Israel, I think it's clear that you've pretty much made the world angry when you see, you know, countries like Turkey sliding closer to Russia, at least in some levels in like Syria and Armenia, Azerbaijan, things like that, you know, some more cooperation with a country that is supposedly kind of at war with NATO right now. Um, you know, you're seeing this sort of hegemon fall apart. I think the U.S. is looking to just make money off of weapons in the meantime, but 
you're definitely seeing the empire fall apart. And I think we're seeing the sort of facade of that kind of break. You know, our proxies are gone in a lot of places as far as governments go. Even uh, with the Israel situation, we tried to throw Egypt under the bus, and that's a coup government that Obama supported. And here they are trying to blame them for not letting aid in on some Western media outlets where, you know, this they'll just throw anybody under the bus because the Global South especially isn't valuable to the U.S., and I think that, again, this just shows the callousness to death and uh, actual opinion of opinions and feelings of human beings all around the world, not just in the United States by Western leaders. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to, you know, long-term thinking, it almost feels like that is kind of what the U.S. is lacking with some of these conflicts, because certainly we saw this happen in Ukraine, where the U.S. just decided, okay, we're going to, you know, put all of these sanctions on Russia. We're going to make it the most sanctioned country in the world. And that will have a desired effect. And then it didn't. And then you had all of these other countries around the world saying that they weren't going to cut off ties with Russia just because the United States told them to. Now you're in a situation where, you know, certainly when it comes to the Arab world, they've got to be getting frustrated with the U.S. They've gone through, you know, two decades of the so-called war on terrorism with the U.S. just bombing wherever it wanted, whatever it wanted, and claiming that it was justified in doing so. And now you're in a situation where you've got countries like Iran and Saudi Arabia that have been able to have ties thanks to China. But then when it came to Saudi Arabia and Israel and the U.S., and its attempts to get them to have ties again. Well, Saudi Arabia cut that off real quick as soon as you saw Israel declaring war on Hamas. So how do you see this impacting the Arab world in the years to come and kind of the stance that they take against Israel? Do you see it bringing them together in a way that we haven't seen before? I actually think this may have set some things back uh, with Israel and, say, like the Gulf countries, at least. I mean, the Arab, you know, the major Arab leaders who are Western-aligned refused to meet with Joe Biden after his trip to Israel. So I think you're seeing a sort of—and especially because these Arab leaders really want to ally with Israel due to its supposed world-class intelligence that couldn't even see an attack coming from their backyard. So uh, I, I think that— the Arab leaders have gotten sort of cold feet from this, and not, not only that, it's going to be very hard to undo 40 years of teaching about Israel as the great part of the great Satan in places like Saudi Arabia when these have been in textbooks, you know, in ISIS schools and things like that. Um, there's a culture to really wind back there, and I don't think any of the Arab leaders are really capable of doing that right now. I don't think they're competent enough to do something like a like an Erdogan almost who you know, makes these major shifts in uh, a country's culture. They're clearly not that po- I mean, most of them are monarchs. They're obviously not that popular. Nobody voted for them. Um, I think that it's, it's going to be, it's going to look bad for them to associate with Israel at this point for quite a while now. I don't think drawing down the tensions in like a couple of weeks or something like that is going to make it any easier because this is going to remind, you know, this is going to be a major war if they invade. And I think it's reminding the Arab world that, Oh, yeah, our leaders are, you know, they're kind of trying to sell us out for, like, Israeli jets to be able to fly over Riyadh or whatever, you know. And I think that mm-hmm. the culture in these countries is what doesn't allow these leaders to just go whole, you know, 100 percent in with the United States. And I think we're seeing that pushback. And I think that's actually going to make it a lot harder for 
at least Biden to normalize things between Saudi Arabia and Israel and Qatar and Israel or whoever. Uh, and I think it'll be hard under Trump, too, because the team will probably just be incompetent. It won't be somebody who's a normal global wheeler and dealer like you'd see in the Biden camps, you know, some CFR appointee or whatever. But in Trump's, it'll be a car dealer mm-hmm. or whatever. You know, so either way, it's going to be incompetent and, you know, one-sided. But I think that we're going to see a setback here because the Arab population is just, I don't think they're ready for that. Yeah, certainly a lot to be learned from this one. And I appreciate you taking the time to join me to break it all down today. James Carey, editor and co-founder of Geopolitics Alert. Thank you so much for your time and insight. Thank you. Great talking to you.